0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Here we are. My goodness. Um, I do, I, I mentioned to Katie, uh, I may want to come back right at the beginning to just share uh, um, and reemphasize what we're giving towards this morning. And so, risking being a little redundant here, but I just, early this morning when I was praying, I had it burning in my heart, just this idea of what God is doing in our church family. And so I just wanna name it. Um, today, as we give towards this tiny home that will be on a sacred settlement, which we were a part of launching the first sacred settlement in the state of Minnesota, which is on the church property of Mosaic. Yeah, you can clap for that. Absolutely. A- along, with, along with a half a dozen other church families from different, from different denominations, different spectrums. And it's just so beautiful to come together in unity And that has launched, and that is happening, and people have moved out of homelessness into permanent housing on Mosaic Church property. That has happened, yes. And so I just wanna be real clear. Um, In this process, we are discerning as a church family too um, if that can happen and what that could look like on this land, which, by the way, is not our land. This is not Church of the Open Doors land. This is a resource of the kingdom of God that we steward. And so part of our heart and goal in this, as you give today, by the way, you don't have to designate anything. The first $35,000 that comes in today is going towards this. And I just want to name again, why? Because we are growing as a church family and our fierce commitment to identify the darkest places in our backyard that we are isolated from. And we are isolated from some of the darkest places We wanna identify it. We wanna bring it to the foreground because when the kingdom of God advances, the voices of those who are oppressed grow louder. When the kingdom of darkness advances, they grow softer. We become isolated and insulated from them. So we wanna bring those voices front and center and say no, because in the kingdom of God, light is always invading darkness. And so we are hope dealers. We are life bringers, light bringers into dark places. And this is one expression. We're not the healers. We're not the ones who actually give the hope. It's Jesus, we're just pointing. And and side note, and I'm just already getting on a roll. I'm sorry. This gathering here, some of you showed up for an Easter service or production or whatever you want to call it. That is is not what this is. One, we're not providing a service so that we can hear great, like we're serving you so that we can hear great music and feel good about this day. Or two, we're not putting on a production so that we can be entertained and feel churchy going into Easter Sunday. This is a gathering of an expression of the ancient church that has gathered for thousands of years on this day, not to point to a preacher, to a worship band, or how good we are, whatever, who cares, but to point to Jesus Christ. That is what this is about. And so today, don't I mean we have a lot of stages and and seats in our culture and that represent this is a family gathering. And if you feel on the outside looking in, because you're like, I don't even believe, can I just, I, I just hope God tears down that wall today. All right, so here's where I'd love to start. Again, I, maybe I said it, maybe I didn't. My name's Dave. It's great to be with you today. Happy Easter, everybody. Got your pastels on. Um, some of you, if you don't, who cares? Uh, yeah, um, today, I'm just gonna point us to that passage that Katie read, um, first Peter, uh, Peter was a follower of Jesus. And when he said this, praise to God our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy, he's given us a birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter was actually writing that to a group of people who were being persecuted, killed for their faith. And so this is like, yeah, beautiful church stuff. No, this is actually stuff that really matters for people that are going through dark times. And here's what struck me as I read that passage of scripture. When Peter wrote that, he was about—he thir- had been following Jesus for about 30 years, and it struck me. I have been following Jesus for about 30 years. I, I gave my life to Jesus when I was a teenager. And as I was preparing and thinking about our Easter gathering, I just began to think about myself, teenage Dave, and I remember the moment. I actually got on my knees with a friend. His name was Mario. And I just said, Jesus, I give you my life. And there was a worry that I had inside of me. I, I still remember it very vividly. I was concerned. I was wondering, one, is this actually gonna last? I'm making this decision now in high school, is it actually gonna last? Two, I'm wondering years down the road, will it have even made a difference in my life? And now looking back over the decades, I am just so grateful. It has made all the difference. And through the peaks and valleys of life, and I sometimes drift into finding my worth in the things of this world. But on an ultimate level, God always saves me back from that. I am not in this rat race of trying to find my identity in earthly success. The greatest tragedy, you've probably heard me say it before, isn't failing, it's succeeding at things that don't matter in the end. And so here we are, a lot of people chasing the American dream, and one day, like Ecclesiastes says, it'll vanish. What does it really matter? And, and so here's what I wanna do. It's Easter Sunday. I just wanna come out of the papier-mâché cave and I just wanna worship. And uh, celebrate. that would be super awkward, I would never do that. Um, <laughs> one, I'm nowhere near Jesus and two, it's just cheesy. But, um, but here's why I'm not going to rush in this sermon to resurrection victory for two reasons. One, because the Bible doesn't. In fact, that's not how the first Easter started. Started in a very different way. It was a slow journey to realizing the victory that was won. And two, listen, because of this room. Let me explain it like this. About two weeks ago, maybe three, it felt like it was in the middle of winter still. And my son and some of the neighborhood boys, I took them to Dairy Queen because that's what you do in the middle of winter is you go eat frozen treats if you're in, in Minnesota. Um, and so we did, and when we got done, we went outside to the parking lot. And at that time, just a few weeks ago, maybe there still is huge snow mountains in the parking lot. And a little child in me always wants to climb them, but then the little older person in me is like, nah, I'm too tired. Um, <laughs> So I had all these little they little 12-year-old boys in the car and I pulled up to one and I said, okay, the first one to the top of this snow hill and back in the car wins. One, two, three, go. Doors just shot open and they're, climbing, they're pulling each other down. They got back into the car, but you didn't get to the top. You just put your hand on the top. I put my feet on the top and they're arguing about it. And, and then there's me in the car and you know why I was in the car? Two reasons. One, I am tired. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And two, I'm sick of snow. I don't wanna make positive memories this time of year in the snow. How many of you are missing the snow already? Anybody? I'm looking for your hands. I saw your hand. We're gonna pray for you afterwards. We're gonna have a special prayer time right over by these tulips for you. Um, Here's why I bring that up. And it's silly, but I pictured us this room like that. Some of you are like these 12 year old boys and you're just like, you're just ready to go on Easter and you just jump, you're climbing that Easter mountain, you're ready to celebrate. Others of you are like me, you're in the car and you're like spectating and maybe you're here and maybe the hope that we're singing about feels so out of reach, you're like, the hope feels way over there. Or maybe your life feels too messy to be on the inside. So you feel like you're on the outside. Or maybe you are deeply skeptical. Are you serious? We are talking about a man who, who is actually God who rose from the dead. You're crazy. Either way, all of that is present here today. Can we just acknowledge that? And can I just say this? That's not a shame statement. Be where you're at. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the table. We bring it all to the table. I, you think I have it all together because I'm standing you, you don't, actually, I hope. Um, some of you might. Uh, oh, he's on the stage. He has a Bible. No, it's all a mirage. We're human beings, and life is a beautiful mess, and my mess might look different than yours, but we all have it. So with that said, um, we're going to slow down a bit and notice that what ended, what ended up taking roots in the heart of the early followers of Jesus, it began with deep skepticism on the first Easter Sunday and deep hopelessness. And we're gonna frame, I just wanna frame these comments, this this talk like this. The resurrection of Jesus invites both our mind and our heart. It invites both our mind and our heart. So there's two scenes. We're gonna look at John chapter 20. Um, the first scene is at the beginning of John chapter 20, verses one through 10. And so, I'm gonna read through it, go ahead and follow along with me and let's just take the first part of this story in. Here's what it says. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed. From the entrance, she came running to Simon, from the entrance, she came running to Simon Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, AKA John. I don't know why he wrote that, I'm gonna ask him someday. And he said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Hear that. And we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both are running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And he bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth cloth uh, that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed, and they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And I just love that John pointed out twice um, that he beat Peter in a foot race. I just think that's fantastic. <laughs> and by the way, I'm the one Jesus loves. Uh, okay, <laughs> we'll have a talk about that someday, I'm so curious. But, so the first part of this is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ invites our mind. And when I use the word mind, I'm using it on purpose. I'm u- it, what I'm talking about is rational thinking. And that may seem like a paradox that how can that work here? You're talking about something rising from the dead and rational thinking. But I believe, and I believe it's in the text, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ invites our our minds into the story. And I'm starting here because there is a myth that following Jesus and rational thought cannot go together. There is a myth, and I, I... will submit to you that I believe if our faith is to stand the test of time through the ups and downs of life, there has to be all sorts of rational thoughts saturating our faith as well. But most importantly, we see it right here in the text. If we look carefully, we're gonna look carefully together. Here's how it started. Mary found the tomb empty. She did not assume that Jesus rose from the dead. You see it here. She found the tomb empty and she ran to tell Peter and the unnamed disciple. Okay, John. And Peter and John ran to the tomb. John outran Peter. Now, I want you to pause for a moment. Not, not one person who showed up to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning actually imagined that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, um, and I said it earlier when people showed up to the tomb, it was a place of skepticism and hopelessness. And so if you feel that way, you are in great company with all of those on the first Easter because that's how it began. For even the the disciples who walked with Jesus for years. And so you're in good company. If you are carrying doubts today, welcome. Welcome to the table. Um, and, And so here's what happened. John stopped outside the tomb. This is what I would do. If I'm running to a tomb... I'm gonna stop outside, I'm not just gonna run in. Because dead people are in tombs and, and I, that's scary. And, and so I'm gonna stop outside and I'm gonna look in the tomb and, and that's what John did. But Peter did, and, and here's what it says, John saw inside the tomb, everybody say saw. saw. Okay, there's actually a, a Greek word, it's called blepo, it's a fantastic word. You know what it actually means? <laughs> saw, it means to see, I know, it's super complicated. Um, But here's what's fascinating. Scripture says this. John is standing outside the tomb. He's looking in. Peter came behind him, because John beat him there, and ran straight into the tomb, like, "Ah," into the darkness. I'm like, what are you thinking? And and here's what Scripture says, and it's so fascinating. When Peter ran in, he saw. Guess what word that means from the Greek translation. You're like, oh, it means to see. It does not. In fact, that word, when it says Peter saw, is the word "theorio," which you know this word. It, it's, it comes, our word theorize comes from this word, and it means rational thought. Peter ran into the tomb, and he is looking around, trying to figure out what in the world just happened. Why is Jesus gone? Um, Peter's trying to rationally figure what ha- out what happened to Jesus' body. And we see it here when he, he says, he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around his head. The cloth was still lying in its place. It was separate from the linens. And we know, okay, Jesus rose from the dead, so he probably took the face cloth off first. That's why it's lying in its place and the linen. So, but Peter, that was not in his worldview. He did not assume Jesus rose from the dead. So he's going, why, why is, is that there and that there? Not only that, Why would you steal a body and take the grave clothes off? One, if you're a grave robber, um, the spices and the things on the grave clothes are the expensive part. You wouldn't do that. Two, if you're a disciple of Jesus stealing the body, you wouldn't dishonor his body like that by taking off the grave clothes. And thirdly, and this is just me thinking, the grave clothes are what keep in the smell of decaying flesh. Why would you take them? It doesn't make logical sense. And Peter's trying to figure this out as he's going through this. Um, so Peter, who confidently, we read it in First Peter, 30 years later, proclaimed Jesus' resurrection in the first passage we read. At the empty tomb on the first Easter, he was a rational-minded skeptic. And here's what we know in Scripture. We know, as we see in the Bible, it took a lot of real evidence for the first followers of Jesus to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. It took real evidence. Thomas says, I wanna put my finger in your scars, Jesus. It took real evidence, as we'll see. And so, and and I just wanna pause for a moment because some of you might be struggling with this a little bit. Remember, we're gonna start with the head, move to the heart. Our faith, yes, is more than rational thought. Way more. But it is not less than that. And as we go through the rest of this passage, there um, exists today, today, right now, 2023, all sorts of evidence historically that Jesus rose from the dead. Have you ever explored that? Here's, here's my hope. My hope with this first part, very simply, is this. To inspire us to move past assumptions that fit into our brains, our worldview, our categories, to actually realize that if there is a creator God, then there is something bigger than our brains that we can't fit into here. Instead instead of fitting it in our brains, it's like jumping into an ocean. We actually fit into God's reality. God doesn't fit into our reality. And my hope is to spark some curiosity and imagination, to move past cynicism and go, what if? And some of you might take that journey, and I'll tell you if you're here today. Well, I'm gonna let's let's move on from this this area um, one, and I want to point us to one compelling piece of evidence in this story, and and here's what it is. There are actually, there, there were actually eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is writing a letter to skeptical people, and as he's writing the letter, he's like, he's given them a list of people who saw the risen Jesus, and he's like, there's actually over 500, and, and many of them are still alive. Like, here's where they live. Go talk to them. Hear the firsthand encounters of people who rose from the, the dead, and you might say, what why, why does this matter today? Because they're, they're all, those eyewitnesses are dead, Dave. Here's why. This is important today because of this. When Jesus died, the movement of Jesus died. Let me explain. In, for, in the first century, there were many Messiah pretenders. Did you know that? All sorts of Messiah pretenders. Some of them had huge followings. In fact, these Messiah pretenders, Almost all of them had some sort of uprising that took place. Almost all of them were killed because of that uprising. And you know what happened to the movements that they created when they were killed? They vanished almost immediately. All of these Messiah pretenders. One example is, da, da, his name's so <laughs> Such a cool name. Um, he had a huge Samaritan following in the first century. He was a pretend Messiah. And when he was killed, when he was killed, the movement that he created completely died. And the same thing with Jesus. Hear me today. When Jesus died, no one believed. No one believed. The movement ended when Jesus died. That Saturday before the resurrection was a dark, dark day in so many people's minds and hearts. And so, um, and, and, and Frankly, when it comes to theology, the ancient Jewish people, they didn't have built into their framework of believing a resurrection in the middle of history. They didn't believe that was even possible. It didn't fit into their categories. Okay, now a question. How could these scared, defeated disciples become historically bold witnesses of Jesus, even dying for their faith in the end? And here's what I'd love to do real quick. I'd like us to, for a moment to fast forward to today. You are in Minnesota. Some of you online might not be. You are in Minnesota. I know, duh, duh okay. <laughs> no, it's 2023 and you are in Minnesota and you are hearing a message and we are talking about and singing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Over 2,000 years later, over 6,100 miles away from where it took place. You're, you're here right now in Minnesota. Wait, wait, just look at Maple Grove. This is the town we're in, if you're watching online. Like, there are church communities scattered all across our city with thousands of people just in our city talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's just one micro dot in the universe 6177 miles away from Jerusalem. What in the world are we doing talking about this today if Jesus died and his movement died back then? And not only that, like I have a limited perspective for sure, but the places I've been, I have seen the church alive and thriving in Eastern Europe, in the, some of the darkest places of India, in Africa, in the Middle East, in Central America, and South America, seen it with my own eyes. There's no sort of, in some of these dark places, no sort of government programs that actually can make a difference. It is the embedded church in the darkest places that bring life. I've seen it with my own eyes. It is, and here's the question. Here's the question. How could the largest, most diverse, multi-ethnic, multicultural movement on planet Earth be born out of something that completely died when Jesus died? And the answer, my answer, is Jesus actually rose from the dead. And then I began to think about Minnesota again. Like spring in Minnesota, just when you think nothing will ever grow again. (laughs) Out of the deepest winter, life is born. And so there's a quote by a Japanese writer, Shasuku Endo, and and she wrote this. She wrote, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you will be forced to believe that what did hit the disciples was some other amazing event, different in kind, yet of equal force to its electrifying intensity. In other words, if we try to explain the changed lives of the early Christians, it it would require a leap of faith equal to believing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So give me your Give me your thoughts around that. Have you looked into it? And I just want to point out, if, if you're here today, um, I want to encourage you. There's more evidence out there. Go after it. And if you're looking for a community to bring your doubts to, we have a, a small community that starts meeting this week, and it's a, it's a, teach, it's a learning community, and it's around, um, it's called Alpha. We call it Alpha, and it's not just here. It's in a lot of places but if you want a place that's safe to struggle and bring your doubts and ask the tough questions about life, go to our website, thedoor.org, our events page, you can register for that and there's a safe place. No, it's not a pressurized environment. And at the end, you're not forced to recite or do anything. But it's a safe place to discover. Okay, now we're gonna transition to the next part. We got plenty of time, let's do this. <laughs> Tom, one of our pastors, said wisely last week in his sermon, He said, our faith can't just be intellectual. It has to be more, and it is so much more. And so today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ invites our minds, but it also has the power to change our hearts, and we see this most vividly in the person of Mary Magdalene. So we're going to move on to scene two in this chapter, this moment, um, starting at verse 11, and here's what it says. It says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. So Jesus said to her, Mary, one of my favorite points in the Bible. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he uh, he said these things to her. I wanna pause for a moment because this is the first time Jesus Jesus appeared to somebody resurrected. And starting next weekend through the next couple months, we're going to slow down, pause our Mark series if you've been around here, and look at all of these moments um, where Jesus appeared post-resurrection, two human beings, two people, as we go through the next couple months. And I'm gonna start that next week with the story about Jesus on the road to Emmaus. But right here, scene two, the resurrection of Jesus also invites our hearts. I wanna ask three questions. One is this: why was Mary crying? Why was she crying? Um well, because Jesus died. Come on, people. Um, grief and hopelessness. She's dying because she lost so much. And, and if you know the story of Mary Magdalene, you know how much she loved Jesus. Jesus set her free. And then what is Mary Magdalene looking for? What is she actually looking for? It's an important question because here she is looking for, I'm gonna say it like this, a small Jesus She's looking for a, a fully human Jesus, a dead Jesus. She's looking for the body of Jesus. That's what she's looking for. And how, how the question that comes to my mind, how could she not see Jesus was risen? How could she not figure it out up to this point? And, she heard Jesus say, I'm the light of the world. I'm the savior. I will die. I will rise. She even looked in and saw two angels. She probably didn't think they were angels because she even saw Jesus and thought Jesus was the gardener. So maybe she thought those people were just checking out. I, how could she not have figured this out after hearing and seeing all that she's heard and seen even in this story? And here's what comes to my I'm sure there's more to it than this. Here's what comes to my mind. Her worldview blinded her. She had no category for resurrection. Her categories for Jesus were good ones. Jesus is a good teacher. She called him rabboni, teacher. Jesus is a good man. Jesus is even healer and a miracle worker. She knew all of these these things about Jesus, but she did not have a category for resurrection. And so even with the signs being so obvious, her worldview, her way of viewing just blinded her to this along with her grief. And you know that grief can blind us to things. And here's why I wanna point this um, this out. This is a window into human nature, and it's this. What you're looking for, you will find. And and here's why this matters, because some of you came here today uh, and you're not, you're not looking for a resurrected Jesus. And I just wanna tell you, like, it takes a miracle to open up our minds to imagine it. Like, what if this story is true? Because in the end, you will find what you're looking for. We have a disease in our culture that all of us to some degree are infected with. And the disease is called cynicism. And, he, and, and it's, it's, it's all over the place. And I feel it warring inside of me. Here's what cynicism does. Cynicism makes a decision before going into a situation or a circumstance of what's going to happen yeah we'll see if that proves to be true yeah i prayed for that we'll see if that prayer is answered yeah i've seen people like that before i've been to church services before i know i know what's really going on cynicism always predicts the future and when we're predicting the future in our cynicism there is no, that cannot coexist with hope and imagination. We need our hearts healed. Follower of Jesus or not, we need our hearts healed because we're wandering through life without hope and imagination. We have more resources than anybody ever in, in all of human history, yet we're the most anxious and depressed. We need freedom on a heart level. And so, The question that comes to mind is what did she, what did Mary need to break her out of her small view of Jesus? What do we need to break us out of our small view of Jesus and our cynicism? And here it is. In the story, we see that she needed a true encounter with the risen Jesus, and that's exactly what happened. And I just want to say this, and this might sound crazy, and I don't care. Jesus did die. Jesus did rise again. Jesus was on earth, as risen Jesus and ascended to heaven, sending us the presence of God through the Holy Spirit so that we can all experience the presence of God right here, right now. Sounds crazy, I know, but I believe this, that the, the presence of the risen Jesus is with us here today. And so, four real quick noticings of Mary's encounter with Jesus that captures the whole story of the Bible. And I'm gonna name them as we go through them. The the first one is this. Notice that in Mary's blindness, she did not find Jesus. Jesus found her. And so we start with this idea of pursuit in scripture. This is not us trying to figure out how to earn our way to God or figure out where God is because God's playing hide and seek. The idea of pursuit is Emmanuel God with us. And if you've been around our church family for some time, this is a little bit of review. But here's what... here's what pursuit actually means. If this is God and this is you, here's how we naturally think as human beings. If I've turned my back on God and lived in a way God doesn't like, then there is distance between me and God. And so now, maybe you feel this way today, if I'm gonna turn back towards God, how do I get from there to there? I'm, I feel so far away. That's not the story of the Bible and that's not the truth of pursuit. Pursuit looks like this. This is God, this is us. When we turn our backs, pursuit looks like this. Emmanuel, God with us. God crossed the distance no matter how far we travel. And we realize that if we turn around, God's closer than you think. He's been there the whole time. Yeah. So, for those of you who feel far from God, maybe. It's not an issue of God's nearness, but it's an issue of your ability or our ability to see. And so the second noticing is this. It's not just that Jesus came close to Mary. That's actually not enough. Here's what I mean. How did Jesus come close to Mary? This, is, this, this, this just blows my mind. So let me ask you this question. What do you picture when you picture a fictional character coming back to life? A fictional character who was dead and came back to life. Here's the first thing that came to my mind. Go ahead and bring the picture on the screen. First thing that came to my mind. Um, right there. That's what came to my mind. I, some of you may not know who this is. This is Gandalf. Come on, people. From the Lord of the Rings. And you remember, Gandalf the Grey died. And he came back as Gandalf. The, remember when that robe came off? Gandalf the White. <laughs> it's amazing. And you might not like Lord of the Rings. Well, if you're a superhero fan, Superman came back to life. Spider-Man came back to life. Um, who else came back to life? Captain America. Yeah, all, all sorts of people came back. And when they come back to life, fictionally, there's this moment, like, I'm back. I mean, there's like this, this moment where you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming, although it happens every single movie, come on. Um, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. I'm so glad they didn't die. Uh, that, <laughs> I wouldn't make any money if they died, people. Okay, um... Here's what I love about this story. Jesus doesn't return like that. There's not some grandiose moment. In fact, Jesus is close, but here, his closeness gives us a window into the character of God and how God approaches us today. Jesus came up to Mary, didn't announce who he was, didn't go, I'm here. He said, Why are you crying? Why are you crying? Jesus met Mary in her pain and hopelessness and doubt. And by the way, Jesus didn't say, Mary, I told you, you knucklehead. I told you I was going to die and rise again. And you think I'm the gardener. How slow are you, Mary? He didn't say any of that. He wasn't ticked off at her in the middle of her doubts. And some of you think your doubts push God away or the mess in your life. Pushes God away, and here's a question I want to ask: If that's if that is the case, you feel like maybe you even don't fit here at a, in a church gathering because you're too messy. If that's the case, then let's ask this question: if That's the case. How many stories would we have to eliminate from the Bible? Let's eliminate David and all of the Psalms because he wrote them. Let's get rid of the Last Supper because Judas was at the table, so was Peter, and everyone else was sinners, but their sins were put on display. And Jesus washing feet, let's get rid of that. And why don't we just get rid of the cross too? Because Jesus actually died on the cross and took that mess on himself so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you wouldn't be defined by your worst moments, but you could be defined by the love of Jesus. And so this, this the whole Bible blows up that illusion. It blows up the illusion that you're too messy to be a part of the church and be in the family of God. That's just not the story, it's just not the story. No one is too messy. And God doesn't love a future cleaned up version of you. So so no, notice number three is this. Jesus came, he came a certain way, but notice who Jesus revealed himself to as the first messenger of the resurrection. Notice this. Mary, it says in scripture, had seven demons cast out of her. And some of you are like, You lost me there. Regardless of how you feel about that, the idea of a demoniac in the ancient world is this. These people were the people that wandered around naked or half naked. They were hearing voices. They were talking to themselves. They were social outcasts. Most of them were homeless. Um, so, So Mary is a reformed mental patient. And not only that, she's a woman. And that may not sound like a big deal to you, but in that day and age, um, it's, it was so tragic that women were not considered to be uh, valid witnesses to an event, which is terrible. but you can see that Jesus is rewriting the script, bringing dignity back to to women in this case, but also to somebody that was the, the just the, on the margin the, the most marginalized person in society, and that is the first Person that Jesus entrusted this message of, the re- of his resurrection, the first person. And, and in this, like, we hear, we hear the whole message of the gospel. Jesus doesn't save based on moral performance, social status, accomplishments. Jesus doesn't save those who think they're strong, but those who know they're weak. And behold, church family, the beauty of this story The grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, turning the power structures of this world on their head, inviting the strong, the weak to the center, not the strong, but inviting those who are strong to realize they're actually weak so that they can come to the center. Yeah. And then notice lastly, Jesus called her name. And I'm going to end with this this is a window into how God relates to us personally as human beings. And it's so beautiful. Jesus, when he came to Mary, he didn't say, da-da, I'm back. He didn't say, it's, it's he didn't go, it's Jesus, Miss Magdalene. Um, there, there is no culture in history that is more obsessed with identity than ours. What a gift this is to our identity-obsessed culture. What a gift. Instead of Jesus saying, look who I am, Jesus said, I know who you are. I know who you are. And in our anxious drive to find out who we are in this world, like we, we say, I'm gonna find out who I am, I'm gonna identify who I am, I'm gonna project that to the world, but we are actually social creatures. We find out who we are in our deepest relationships, not on our own stressful search, in the the relationship that's at the center of the center that we're invited to, finding out who we are is a relationship with Jesus Christ, is a relationship with our loving God. And Jesus here, in a sense, I'm not a dead founder of an ethical religion you can get to know through following my rules. The more you experience my love, we know this through scripture, the love of Jesus, The more you experience, the more you'll find out who you really are. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, I know who you are. You haven't figured out who I am yet, but I know who you are. And I wanna tell you, some of you, you're like, I don't know, I don't know who God is. God knows who you are. Jesus invites our mind, but doesn't just want us to simply believe intellectually he's alive. He invites our heart in the middle of the mess to be healed. So here's what I pictured as we end today. I pictured all across this room and even online that that same Jesus that came up behind Mary that she thought was the gardener is behind you whispering your name, inviting you to turn around and receive him into your life. And I... We're gonna have two responses today, actually three. And one of it is, uh, you got a card when you walked in. Can you pull that card out for a second? <clears throat> and if you didn't, don't, feel, it's okay. We have more for you. You're like, I don't got a card, man. Um, we have more for you. They look like this. And, and here's what we're doing. We actually believe in prayer. And we believe that as a church family, we're called to pray for each other. And so we're inviting you um, when you leave here today to actually name something that you're hoping for. Maybe there's something messy and difficult in your life or in a a friend or a family member's life. It's saying, where do you need hope to rise? Where do you need it to rise? And it can be a situation walking through something physical, mentally, emotional, spiritual. It could be a, a first name of a person or initials if you wanna be real discreet and here's what at the end of our gathering, in the gathering place, on the four pillars in the middle, I think also at the chalkboard wall, there's some tape and pens and all of that. I wanna encourage you to name it. Even right now, name it and tape it on one of those pillars. What we're gonna do is actually in the future, we're gonna mobilize our church family to carry the hopes of each other and pray for every single one of these. So that's one, one response. And the, this the, the second response is this, and I wanna invite our worship team up. You guys can come up and then, uh, in fact, let's all stand together. Um, after the gathering today, if you want to receive prayer, we'll have a bunch of people up here, including myself, We'll stay till the last person leaves. We, we wanna meet you. We wanna pray for you. We wanna be with you in, in whatever you're walking through. But right now, we're gonna have a community response to this. There's an old song called The Doxology. It's the most sung lyrics on planet Earth. I don't know if you knew that. My family and I, a lot of our mealtimes, we start by singing this together around the table. So welcome to our table. We're gonna sing this acapella, The Doxology. And then after that, we're gonna go into a song called Awake My Soul. And here's what I wanna encourage us to do. I wanna encourage us to let down our guard a little bit and make this our prayer, but to get outside of ourselves a little bit and to actually declare this. It's a song of praise to our king, but it's also a, a prayer. Wake me up to the reality of not a dead hope for those in the past, but a living hope that's available to you right now here today. So could I invite you, not because it's magic, just because sometimes our physical body tells ourself what's true. Can we just put our hands out like this in a posture of receiving? So Jesus, here we are. I just ask for your presence to invade this room. I ask for courage to rise up inside of us to be able to to take a risk for some of us and actually pray these words. May this be a beautiful offering to you, our risen Savior, in declaration, joining with your ancient church over 2,000 years, but also all across this world. Praise God to whom all blessings flow and wake us up to the reality of that. In Jesus' name. And everyone said,